everyone, my name's Nicole. I'm Brenna. I'm Reed. And this is FitClick. podcast where we talk about fan fiction each episode the three of us each bring a fic to talk about um my fic for this episode is the gates by x pity x it is a witcher fic uh nick what is your pick for this episode my pick for this episode is called persistence by northland or northland depending on your pronunciation and it is a persuasion by jane austen fic those are my own hype horns for my own pick (laughs) Great. Uh, Bren, what did you bring? Yeah, my fic is Garot by Down June. It is a hockey RPF fic. Um, it's a little wild. Wow. I feel slight fear about getting into it, but it's also really good. <laughs> so. I have no fear. It no is fear. Uh, just a good fic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm excited for you. Well, hey, we did a thing. We did do a thing. Uh recently at the time of recording less recently at the time of this release but hopefully that just gives more people time to enjoy it um the three of us got together and decided um you know that hot trend lately bren you know the hot trend i'm talking about um i think i do yeah yeah reed do you know the hot trend oh i know the hot trend yeah we made a you quiz what wow everyone please calm down i can hear all of our clits screaming with joy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that have not already taken it, I guess. We tweeted about it and stuff. Um, but yes, we made a U quiz. It has all of the questions that are um, mandatory for U quizzes. Um, and also some that are, like, more spicy. Mm-hmm. Nope, they're just exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing spicy in this U quiz, actually. <laughs> it's just fun. Um, but we thought it would be a good time if you all um, got to experience the three of us taking the quiz. Um, which I haven't even told you what it is yet. It is which fic click fic pick are you? So what fic that we have discussed and talked about on the show um, does your soul most closely align with in its purest <laughs> form? So um, that's exciting. We worked hard on it. We hope that you take it and tell your friends too. But now I'm going to do what I just said and tell my friends to take this you quiz. Hey, Brendan Reed. God. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Yes. Y- yup. Sick. Okay, let's do it. Um, yeah, okay. So, question one is, which category from our flawless categorization system do you most identify with? If you're confused about this, consider listening to the intro of episode 10, or just go with your heart. Mm-hmm. I think that I am style. Okay. Bren? Um, I'm gonna go with the vibes. Nice. I think I'm gonna go gay. <laughs> I I support you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question two. Pick a deep quote that Tumblr went through an obsessive phase with. (laughs) I'm sorry, these get me every single time I read them. (laughs) I mean, I have to. I have to go with the the Jane Austen quote. Oh yeah, I feel like that's appropriate. If I loved you less, I might be able to talk about it more. It's Emma, but like, it feels right. Um, I think I'll go with, like, the very classic, it's rotten work, not to me, not if it's you. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with, um, 
a quote that I've seen and loved a lot and have never engaged with the source material, which is from Watership Down, but it's, when they catch you, they will kill you, but first they must catch you. I did not know the source for that. Me either. <laughs> you learn something new every day. <laughs> I think I put all of these. I think I'm the one who filled in all of these. Yeah. So this one might be a little bit of a, a your experiences are not universal, mm-hmm. but um, this is my Tumblr experience coming at you live. It's convenient because the next question is also read-centric. Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this one is, which weird slash vaguely cursed item from my childhood bedroom are you? Um, there's a lot. This question has a lot. Um, I'm going to go with the words, quote, I heart Edward that my friend painted on the wall. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, Reed, I'm sorry if you're going to pick this one, but I have to go with a poster of Ricky Martin on my closet door that I had to sleep facing away from at night because it scared me. Um, yeah, that one is the one I was going to choose. Yeah, and I may- thought so. <laughs> maybe I will still choose, but just for fun, um, I will read another option, which is, um, yeah, this isn't an item, but we had a pet rat when I was a kid, and then I was letting him run around my room, which wasn't allowed, and then I lost him, and my friend came over, and I was like, hey, I lost my pet rat, and we found him in the bottom drawer of my dresser. So there's my childhood bedroom for you folks. <laughs> um, okay, our question four. It's a U-Quiz classic, so get ready, everyone. Um, pick a Taylor Swift lyric. There is an option to refuse if you are anti either Taylor Swift or this question. Um, <laughs> all right, so I'm going to pick the line from Haunted. Feels right. Yeah. Uh, I'm going with Cruel Summer because I feel like I have to. Out of the Woods is one of my favorite Taylor Swift songs, so I think that's going to be my choice. Okay. Solid. Okay, question five. Which iconic lyric from Kim Namjoon, leader of the international award-winning hit K-pop group BTS, speaks to your soul? I think this is my favorite question on the quiz. (laughs) I mean... Well then, Reid, what are you going with? Yeah, you gotta give us the deets. I mean, Kim Namjoon, he's brought me to tears so many times... (laughs) <laughs> He's just his lyrics are so deep and meaningful, and that's why I'm picking haters gonna hate and players gonna play. Motherfuckers keep motherfucking all day. Thank you. <laughs> wow, uh, a truly iconic pick. Yeah, thank you. Bren, what about you? Yeah, I'm gonna go with um, one of the newer classics. Oh. Uh, is you ready for this? Is you ready to get hyped up? Yeah, yeah. I love that one. Um, I say I'm going a little old school, in the middle maybe. Um, don't tell me bye bye. You make me cry, cry. Love is a lie, lie. Thank you. <laughs> uh, amazing. It just moves me every time. <laughs> yeah, same. Oh yeah, boy. Okay, this <laughs> this next one is um, pick something random we found in our respective notes apps. There are screenshots. All of these are very real things. Like we just kind of like looked through and we were yeah. like, yep, these exist. I, these are authentic. Some of these are from multiple years ago for me. <laughs> My, I think the ones I had in my notes app that were the best, I could not include on this quiz for a variety of reasons. They were too good. But, yeah, exactly. Too good to release to the public. Nick, what are you going to pick? I God, they're all so different from each other. Um, I think I'm going to go with the Eric Carlson Imagine for Brenna, um, of which ah, the notes okay. read, meet cute in a grocery store, talk about merits of miso paste, snowed in light apocalypse. That is the one I wanted to pick, but just you for diversity's sake. No, I'm going to go with Raylo Jopping Boy with Drugs. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Written for you. It's so, poetry. I know. I love it. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go with um, 
a track list that Nick made, I think one summer, uh-huh. of things that uh, they said to their mom uh-huh. um, to make into an album. Uh, there's so many things here, but maybe my favorite one is Pass Me Some of That Sweet Bulgogi Girl. <laughs> I like Back Me Up My Beefy Friend. That's also good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she really enjoyed me telling her all of these things aloud in person. God, I forgot about the next question. It's good. All right. Do you want to read so this? So our next question, yes. Our next question is going to be, which unreleased fit click blooper are you? Um, we have had some bloopers up on Twitter previously, and maybe we'll put some more up soon. But these are all unreleased, previously unheard bloopers. <laughs> Perhaps never to be heard <laughs> in some cases. These ones may r- remain unreleased. <laughs> yeah. But you get a little teaser of them in this quiz. hmm This is tough. This is tough because I have full context for all of them, and it really... <laughs> Pretend that you don't, Nick. Go with your heart. Yeah, well, the thing is, like, if I choose Jarvatine, I know that that was a 10-minute blooper. Mm-hmm. That was a 10-minute <laughs> blooper. <laughs> and which I laughed so hard, I was sore the next day. So I'm going to pick it. But, like... Jarvatine is my favorite out of these. I still feel impassioned when I think about <laughs> it. For context, everyone, Jarvatine is the ship name for Jar Jar Binks and Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> The way you said that's so matter of fact. Well, it's the truth. It is, oh. Reed. <laughs> I only speak the truth. Jar- Jarpatine is good and everyone will hear it. Well, <laughs> they will hear about it in this quiz. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Everyone this will hear the, the good word it. of Jarpatine. See, I'm really torn between it's Shugamon and Pikachu and they're piloting a Jaeger and also, quote, dunk on our haters and go hard in the paint. Mm. Um, but I think I'm going to go for Shugamon and Pikachu piloting a Jaeger. It's a good one. Okay, solid. I'll go with Baby Vald. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Okay, the next question is um, from my, my POV. Uh, which of these lies I've told my sister are you? These are all true lies. <laughs> these are all things I have said to her. Oh, God. I'm going to go for the word for cool person in Spanish is payaso. Um, if you're not familiar with the Spanish language, that means clown. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go with I've never heard of Wattpad. <laughs> uh, I'm going for yes. Oh, my God. Of course, I know how to parallel park. Stop yelling at me. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good day. <laughs> Ooh, Okay. This is going to be my POV. Um, which song from my vintage Tumblr sad Harry Potter fan mix TM do you vibe with most? Um, this is a playlist I do have on Spotify if anyone <laughs> would like access to it. It is based off like every fan mix I downloaded in my early Tumblr days. So it's got a lot of classics on it. Yeah. Sure does. This was such a like blast from the past for me. I <laughs> chose Landfill by Daughter immediately because that like was also on all of my playlists. Nice. I think I'm going to go with The Wolves, Ben Howard. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to go for No Children, The Mountain Goats. Yeah. Mm, solid. On the first Harry Potter fan mix I ever downloaded. I remember <laughs> vividly. <laughs> wow. Um, it was a Dramione playlist. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not what I was expecting. I love it. Me too. Um, All right. Our <laughs> next question is, which of these vaguely threatening co-star notifications rings just a little too true? Um, I'm going to go for, are you actually into them or are they just emotionally unavailable? 
I'm gonna choose if you don't pay your exorcist, you get repossessed, because I vividly remember waking up one morning and checking my co-star, and that was what it told me, and I was like, hello? <laughs> what does this mean? Um, yeah, I'm gonna go with one that I don't think rings, like, too true for me, but was just an amazing notif to receive, which was, your dark side makes you whole. <laughs> yes. Always a good reminder. Yeah. <laughs> This last question, <laughs> contentious. Based only on perception of the podcast, which fit click host do you think you could take in a fight? So this is hard because the first half of the question really negates a lot of my lived experiences. Mm -hmm. I'm debating ignoring it. See, it's also fun because maybe we release this episode and then this is just where it cuts off because after we <laughs> pick these answers, we just... Get into a fight? Yeah, we oh bicker. No. Well, that'd be, that'd be a problem because you and I could get into a physical fight. That's true. But we can't fight Well, I'll Brenna. just record the rest of the podcast and it'll be only me. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> so get ready for that, Ficklets. I know it's what you've all been waiting for. Finally, Brenna's Jerry Corder <laughs> gets the spinoff it deserves. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this one's easy for me. It's Brenna. I think I could easily physically overpower her. <laughs> Yeah, wow. this is difficult because I it's based only on perception of the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think I'm going to go with Reed because it makes sense both for my perception of the podcast and for real life. But I do think <laughs> based on my perception of the podcast, like if I had only listened to this, I think I'd feel like I could fight Nick more than I actually probably could. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Um, because I like I have not. If I had only listened to the podcast, I wouldn't know, like, how much taller than me you are. And that I usually can't hold on to the object you're trying to rip away from me. Yeah, that's incredibly valid. <laughs> oh my god. I feel like I'm going to go for Nick just to sort of round it out. Okay. Okay, solid. Yikes. Here we go. Ooh! All Ooh. right. Okay, who wants to read theirs first? Bren. Uh, okay, I'll go first. My result was Timeshare. Congrats! What? Timeshare by Astolat, episode 11. Wow. <laughs> so surprising. Never saw this one coming. Um, I actually can't remember like what answers we assigned to what questions, so I did not try and game this. Yeah. Um, but I do like that it feels right. Um, the rest of the description says, A little goth, a little feral, and a little tender? You probably have fantasies of dressing in white shirts with lots of ruffles, like a pirate or a disheveled vampire prince. You do whatever it takes to protect the ones you love, except maybe admit that you love them. The keywords are whack, punk rock, and gay. Hell yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, love that you got timeshare. I mean, okay, I, I know that the reason that it's so scarily accurate for you is because you wrote it, but it still <laughs> is like, it's so perfect. Wow. I got All Straight Lines Circle Sometimes by Talahui. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, episode four. Um, you might have a bit of a tendency to run away from your problems and then wallow in them. However, your friends always have your back at the end of the day, and you've got theirs too. You probably feel some kind of pull towards nature and have cried over at least one fictional horse. That's not true, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Keywords, vibes, style, umami. Amen. Nice. Thank you. Um, mine was Love Song of the North American Douchebag by Jism, which we talked about in episode six. Um, and mine reads... You've probably had at least one overly loud phone call in the grocery store. You're kind of pretentious, and it's equally charming and infuriating. You still have copies of the books you read in college with your notes in them. Keywords, vibes, gay, umami. 
And, like, I don't know exactly how accurate this is to me, but I really am appreciating being vibes gay umami and also just being this incredible yeah. fic. Um, although there are no bad, no bad answers. No bad answers. That is true. I think there are, what, six or seven options? Six results. Six results that you can get. Please let us know what you get. If it's one of us, um, congratulations. You have a favorite FitClick host now. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you had a different one before, now you have to switch. It's the rules. Uh, But if it was different also, you know, post it so people can see. Yeah. Wow, exciting. Good you quiz, everyone. I think so. I feel like we nailed it. Okay, so my pick for this episode is The Gates by XPDX. It's a Witcher fic. It is Geralt um, Amir. Uh, it is based on the video games, um, not the TV series. Um, I don't know how much it pulls from the books at all, but just to give you some context, if you are not familiar with The Witcher or if you've only watched the Netflix show, um, So The Witcher is a video game. Um, Specifically, this fic, and I would argue most fic on AO3, takes place either during or after The Witcher 3, which is the um, most recent one that's been released, um, and I think the most popular. Um, Geralt, our protagonist, is a witcher. He's a mutated human, essentially, who has um, some, like, light superhuman abilities. He can, like, see and hear really well, and he's, like, a little bit extra strong and fast, and he has... Um, some small magic that he gets, um, as a result of taking these mutations that made him a witcher. Um, the main plot of, uh, Witcher 3 is that you open with, um, Emir, who is, um, Emperor of Nilfgaard and is waging a war to basically gain control over the whole continent. Um, Emir is like... (laughs) (laughs) Get that, Emir, get it! Get that continent. (laughs) Um... (laughs) So, Sorry, I don't. We we stand a colonizer. <laughs> I do not condone these imperial actions. Yeah. Um, so Amir calls Geralt and he's like, "Hey, I need you to go find my daughter, Siri." The game is vast and complicated. Um, really, really interesting. I think there are like technically forty-two different endings for it. There are like three major branching paths, but there's like forty-two variations within them. Um, and one of the variations, which is sort of the one that this fic goes off of, is that you do find Siri, you bring her back to Amir, um, you help Amir win the war, um, and after he wins, um, he starts basically, like, uh, teaching Siri to, like, help train her to, um, take over as Empress when he abdicates from the throne in the near future. Um, so that is sort of, uh, the branch path that this this fic goes off um but this fic takes place after the only real content warning that i would give for this fic is that there is temporary character death um otherwise i don't really think there's much else that you need to look out for and what happens in this fic is in the very beginning you find out um amir was murdered he was assassinated um Geralt spends about six months with siri as she transitions to being a ruler and then he goes well he doesn't tell her but uh to himself he's like hey I'm going to go find Amir and bring him back from the land of the dead. So actually, most of this fic does not even take place in the, like, land of Witcher. Um, it's a lot of just world building um, and myth making from the author um, as Geralt takes that journey. Um, I really, really, really loved this fic. 
I am someone, uh, my friends know well, I'm someone who really, really loves mythology. Um, so reading this was absolutely delightful. Um, it kind of cherry picks from a lot of, I think, familiar myth themes, but also, as I've said, like the author does a lot of their own world building and sort of um, makes their own rules. And I thought it was all done really, really well. Um, I love Geralt as a character so much. I also have played a decent amount of Witcher 3. I haven't finished it, but I've sunk many, many hours into it. And it's a game that I really love. And I think this fic does a very good job, like sort of paying homage to some of the things that make the game so well done. Um, but before I really get into it, uh, Bretta and Nick, you both have sort of different levels of knowledge about Witcher. What? So I love Witcher. Mm-hmm. I've played the game. You have? Thrice. Oh, that's a lot of hours to put into that game. Yep. Mm-hmm. 189. Mm-hmm. What are the three endings? Wow, you did it pretty fast. Yeah, I got the the best ending that you can get. Right. And then I got the worst ending that you can get because uh-huh. you have to turn around and do that. And then I got <laughs> ending number 17. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, Ficklets, I lied to you. I have not played <laughs> The Witcher. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> um, no, I, all I know, I feel like I say this a lot. All I know about this fandom is what I know through Brennan Reed, <laughs> uh, which is like, you know, a little, um, mostly from watching them sort of go through fic of it. Um, and occasionally hearing them talk about the game that they that they play, they they're little games. You know how they are. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Gamers only okay. on this podcast. Gaming, we love it. Uh, no, it's it's really cool. Like it's interesting. There's it's a very complex world, and I have had fun sort of learning about its its edges <laughs> without fully knowing everything about what makes it what it is. Um, this fic was really great, though. I don't think that you need really any background knowledge beyond what Reed just gave in that intro because it is so outside of the canon it deals in um, a setting that is not at all part of the canon world um, and it explains its own lore um, as much as you need it to and there's there's no part of it for me that felt like whoa I have no idea what's going on here like you you're very close in on Geralt's perspective um, and that helps, A, just following him on his journey and understanding where he's going and what his goals are. And then B, later on in the fic, when he starts to go through the gates to the land of the dead, um, if you're paying very close attention, you can catch hints as to each sort of sacrifice that he made as he gets closer to Amir. So I really loved it, honestly. It was it was interesting. It was a little bit different, but it read really well for someone who's not in the fandom. So if you're like, hmm, this is an intriguing thought, but I don't know about the extensive Witcher lore, I can confirm. You can read it and enjoy it. When I started reading fic for Witcher, it was before the TV show came out, so it was in the same sort of universe as this fic, um, and really based off the events of Witcher 3, um, the video game. And I think I had a really similar experience where I went in not really knowing anything. I like Googled Geralt. I Googled Amir, Emmer. In my brain, I say it Emmer, so I'll probably mess up and say it Emmer during (laughs) this. Um, But uh, like I went in really not knowing anything beyond sort of like, oh, Geralt's like a witcher. He can kind of do these things. Like I looked at a picture of him once, you know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um... And found it very easy to follow the fix. I think it's a testament both to, like, the world building of the games themselves and to just, like, the writing of various authors I was reading um, that it just felt like a really complete world that I didn't need to know a whole lot about before going into. Um, It felt so complete and, like, 
I just found it really easy and fun to read fix that in it. Um, I have played some of the video game. I am pretty bad at video games, so um, once it got hard, I was sort of like, oh no. <laughs> I don't remember what buttons to push to, like, kill things. Um, but it definitely, like, helped sort of round out my knowledge of this universe. And then I watched the show along with Reed and that's fun but it was sort of a wild experience because I had gone into it really knowing sort of the lore from these fics and like basically the end of Witcher 3 um and then the tv show is set much much earlier than that in sort of the larger kind of canon timeline um series like a kid instead of being in her like 20s and taking over Nilfgaard um Emmer is kind of there. I don't want to say too much in case you've only seen the show um, and don't want spoilers, but yeah. Uh, so I think I had a similar experience to you, Nick, basically when I first got into it and then have read enough and consumed enough pieces of media now to like have a fuller understanding. Um, but I haven't read any in a hot sec, especially because I tried to read some for the show and I just wasn't as into it as like the fic for the games, I think. I just really love the world that like you end up with in the games. Um, it's like and a lot of those places, a lot of those events you haven't gotten to in the show yet. Um, well, I think also, Bren, you were saying um, pre-recording that, like, the show, for a bunch of reasons, and, like, the fic that comes from it is softer, I think, than the fic yeah. that comes from this video game. And and it all has, like, a different pairing, too, because, like I mm -hmm. said, Emmer isn't there. So it's pretty much all girl Yaskier, which, like, I think the show makes it really easy to write fic for them. But yeah. it admittedly wasn't really, like, what I was going looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it just has a very different tone. Um, so this was really fun. It was exactly what I enjoy reading for Witcher. Um, I loved the characterization and I thought the world building was really clever. I think it did a great job sort of starting with a foundation of what canon gives us and then building on it in a really smart way. Yeah, so Nick kind of alluded to it and Bren was saying about like the world building of this fic. Um, so when, when Geralt is trying to figure out like how to get to the land of the dead to get Amir back. Um, he finds an elf woman who helps him, but like there's not really a lot of knowledge. Um, it's understandably pretty hard to get to the land of the dead and not many people have done it and even fewer people have like come back or have reliable accounts. But the sort of thing that he's able to figure out before he goes is that he'll have to pass through five gates, um, wood, iron, dirt, sand, ivory, and each one requires a different sacrifice and is guarded by a different creature. Um, and so the sacrifices, as he learns them before he goes in, is that uh, wood bends for bravery, so he only need walk through it. Iron takes a physical sacrifice. Dirt takes a learned skill. Sand is knowledge and takes an innate skill. And ivory, it just says, the soul will keep. And he's like, what the fuck does that mean? And the elf woman's like, I don't know. I, we don't even know if anyone's ever gone through it before. Like, my soul? Yeah. And she's like, um, maybe. Sucks yeah. to be you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You're the one who wants to go to the land of the dead. Um, to get into the underworld, it's sort of stated, like, there's not so much one entrance so much as, like, finding a place that could be a suitable entrance. Um, so he does. He goes through. He finds some trees in a meadow and goes through. Um, and as he goes through each of the gates, he goes through a very, very different landscape. So the first thing is he's on a beach that's completely made of glass with a rusted iron boat um, with a huge hooded figurehead on it. And the figurehead like turns around and that is the first guardian. Mm -hmm. um, and with each guardian, he says, uh, forgive my trespass guardian. 
and then they say make your sacrifice and then he just goes and he just like goes through whatever that gate is so for this one it's he goes on the boat um which is wow boy very greek myth uh Mm. get on the boat to cross over the land of the dead although not just greek myth there's Mm -hmm. a that's i think that's um pretty common in a lot of uh iconography of the land of the dead but what you as the reader discover is that as he goes through each gate like Geralt doesn't know what sacrifice has been made um so you know that the first gate is iron and it's something physical and he makes his way he like sits on the boat he gets ferried to a different place he goes to the next area and as soon as he's into the next area which is this like thick woods he takes stock of his body and he's thinking and he's like he can't figure out what is different um and then he's walking and he just sort of like has a comment to himself about how his neck hurts because he has to keep craning his head back and forth to make up for the fact that he only has one eye. And, like, I, as a reader, gasped uh-huh. because I was like, oh, my God, because uh, Geralt in the game has a lot of scars, but he fully has two eyes. See, I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah. I was reading and I was like, did he already have one eye? Like, that was, that was a little confusing to me, sure. I admit. Yeah. But yeah, so that's that's sort of um, in the vein of how you find out all of his sacrifices is that Geralt keeps going through and with each new gate, he just sort of like shifts his perspective of how he's thinking about things. But you as a reader, if you have canon knowledge, you can piece together exactly what he's lost. And it is like kind of gutting. Um, so I, I just, I loved that about this fix so much. I thought the way that that information was revealed was so, so clever and well done. Um yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I feel like I've been talking forever. I just <laughs> oh, the myth, the like the myth building of this fic is so good. It's so clever. Yeah, I think like one of the things that struck me the most about the structure of this fic and the way that it moves the plot forward is that it is consistently asking the question like, what makes you you, and like what pieces of yourself could you live without, and would you notice, and if you didn't like know that you were missing something, would you miss it? It's like so interesting on a philosophical level i guess um of if you're looking at what is the makeup of an identity um but like even i a witcher noob um (laughs) knew as soon as he was like what are these swords for i don't use swords this is embarrassing god i use my crossbow i was like oh no i think he uses those swords though (laughs) like i'm pretty sure he uses swords my only like real touchstone for Geralt's like what he looks like is um, in campaign one of Critical Role, they had a Halloween episode and Matt uh-huh. Mercer dressed up as him. Wow. <laughs> that was me too going into the fix. I just didn't want to say yeah. it because it's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> no fear. Uh, but I feel like there was, they talked about swords briefly. Um, anyway, I was like, oh boy, like something that you have spent so long developing as a skill and then using all the time in your life. Like that just that's just gone. Um, there is, like, this whole question of, like, is ignorance bliss? And, like, could he be happy if he was missing things? And that question gets posed very, um, in a kind of in-your-face way toward the end when, um, he's trying to exit. Um, and there's a whole thing where he loses a mirror. We'll get into it. But, um, I just really, really enjoyed the way in which the plot structure was challenging Geralt. Because it seems to say that, like, He's still himself, even if he loses these really incredible, important parts of himself. And, like, what what is the true self? What is the identity? What is the core of it? Um, and what does that look like? And is that something that you can sacrifice and give up and lose? Or is it just something that you carry with you no matter what pieces of yourself come and go? Yeah, I think that's really interesting, Nick, because, some of, like, part of the kind of 
lore regarding Geralt and witchers in general is that to a certain extent they are made um they aren't Mm. just born as witchers um you have to I mean have sort of a certain capacity to be able to withstand like the trials that you're basically put through but like and I don't fully understand it myself like because I've mostly gleaned it honestly through fic and like one time I read like a wiki summary (laughs) but like (laughs) essentially in training yeah like when they're younger like teenagers kind of in this training they're put through a series of kind of yeah grotesque trials that lead them to be able to acquire these skills that are witcher skills and a lot of what's taken away from him in this fic through this this series of gates and sacrifices are his witcher skills um and some of them i think are seen as either more learned or more innate like swords are more learned where like maybe the witcher sight is more innate but he a lot of the things he loses up until sort of like the last gate are things like part of his witcher sight like he loses an eye he loses the ability to like do the like sigils to do the magic um he loses his ability to like use his swords which is like a big part of him being a capable witcher um and i think that is really interesting sort of tied into the idea that like Geralt is has been made into what he is he wasn't just born that way and i think it's an interesting look at like kind of stripping him down to like what is Geralt beyond just like a witcher um and I think that's interesting that, like, that came through for you without even really, like, knowing the sort of, like, background lore of, like, how witchers come oh, to I'm be. Good. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I should get a raise. <laughs> on this, yeah, on this podcast. podcast. Zero dollars yeah. to also zero dollars. <laughs> I'll, I'll look through the books and see what we can okay. do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love that. And I love that, like, the fic was kind of... I mean, up until the end where it kind of pulls a twist on you, but mm. I like that it, it set out as saying you won't remember what you gave up, and that holds true. Like, I really enjoyed that it did not, like, even as we, as readers, kind of came to understand what Geralt had sacrificed, mm. it wasn't because he was like, oh, wait, maybe I have this thing. Yeah. It's it's literally just us being like, oh no, don't give away your swords. Yeah. <laughs> like, but he doesn't like he does not second guess these things. And I thought that was like really well done. And I just really like that the author like stuck to that. Um I found mm. it really like kind of helped increase the feeling of like the sacrifice. Um and and to really like get to that feeling too of like, is he still Geralt when he doesn't realize that he's lost these things? Um because I think It'd be a different question if he had remembered the whole time, you know? Um, Yeah. I don't know. I I thought that part was really well done. I really enjoyed it. And, like, yeah, the little, like, reveals of how you learn each one is so clever. And the very last, like, gate that he passes through, the thing that he sacrifices, basically, the thing that is taken from him, is his knowledge of why he went to the underworld, of why he's gone to get Amir. And instead of like, continuing to think that he's done it for this particular set of somewhat selfish reasons that he has actually gone. Um, he starts to believe that he's done it because Siri asked him to, which is not the truth. And we as readers know that that is not the truth, but the narration just shifts to Geralt thinking that it's because Siri sent him. And it's so well done, and that part just had me, like, I literally gasped, I think. I was like, <gasps> it's so clever that that's the last mm-hmm. thing that gets taken from him. I loved it. Yeah. And, like, that Ember doesn't really believe him either, you know? It's good. Yeah, like, there's there's a line about um, how, like, Geralt is, like, thinking about, like, he's so proud of Ciri for making this hard choice, like, uh-huh. that he knows it must have been such a hard choice for her to, like, 
put the good of the Empire and getting Amir back over her, like, affection for Geralt. And, like, and it, you're sitting there just, like, screaming. And yeah. also knowing that, like, Siri in character, if she knew what was happening, because he goes in, like, not telling anyone, like, she would also be screaming at him. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Well, it's interesting because up until that last gate, as the reader, the implication really is that the fact that he does not remember is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Because then it's like he doesn't have something to miss. It just is gone and he can keep pressing forward and he's not worried. He just has to reach his goal. But as soon as that purpose is taken away from him, like maybe that is the fic trying to answer its own questions about identity and, and what you need to continue being yourself because that just derails kind of everything. Um, and it's not only that it's lost, it's that it is then replaced with a lie. And like... Mm-hmm. Is that something that was sort of given to him? Is it something that he just came up with as the next possible solution? Is the truth then whatever we can bring our minds to wrap around instead of like the actual objective fact of the matter? I don't know. Like it, it it's not a neutral loss. And at first it seems like the loss of memory is a benefit and then it really, really works against him until... Um, when he's trying to get back out, he loses a mirror. Um, and then he kind of returns to that last guardian. This is what I referenced earlier. Um, and asks for help on the way out. Um, and she tells him that he'll have to carry a burden back to the realm of mortals. I don't know, the, the world. <laughs> back to where he's trying to get, <laughs> the land of the living. Um, and he's like, okay. Okay, like I can carry stuff. I'm strong. I don't know. He doesn't have the swords to carry anymore, so that's that's less weight, I guess. Um, but no, it turns out it is the mental and emotional burden of knowledge, um, which there's just so many illusions there. Um, well, something that I love so much though about that about that last guardian coming back to help Geralt is that. Um, so Geralt gets to the Ivory Gate, which is the last one, and it's this, like, horrible sphinx. Like, there's so much about this sphinx that is, like... Gross. G- just straight up gross. Um, and she's kind of, like, wounded. And Geralt was like, oh, like, let me help you. Like, I have, like, a poultice for your eye. And she's like, that's not the price. He's like, does it, like, does it have to be a thing, a price to pay? Like, can I not just give this to you? Um, so he does her that favor, and he gives her some, like, potions, and he gives her, her his swords just, just because... <laughs> They still um, look good on your necklace of, like, bones or whatever. Yeah, that exactly. Was <laughs> I was like, Geralt, you need the... Okay, fine. But, like, I loved that so much because... So, first of all, when... when uh, So, her name is um, Izanami, um, who I did look up. That is actually um, a figure in Japanese myth who is a goddess of both creation and death. Um, so, I thought that was kind of interesting. But... When, when she comes back to help Geralt, I, like, it kind of poses the question, like, would she have come back if he hadn't done mm. that kindness for him? Um, and I love so much, Nick, you were kind of talking about how, uh, I think both of you were talking about how this fic poses the question of, like, who is Geralt when you take away all these things? Um, and Geralt, like, stopping to help the Sphinx, I think, for me, is, like, so the crux of who he is. Um, Poultice side quest. Poultice side quest. Except. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> She asks, the Sphinx asks if Geralt is afraid of her. And he says, no. And she's like, are you lying to me? And he says, I've seen worse things than you that turned out to be fair and fairer things that were rotten and foul. Those who are monstrous and those who aren't come in all shapes and sizes. And you can't tell just by looking at one, which is which. Which, Mm. one, what a line. But two, it's like, the the thing that I really have loved so much about my experience in playing Witcher is that the game, like... 
first of all, like, the the sort of, like, mythology around Witcher, like, in-game is that, like, oh, Witchers are unfeeling and all they are are monster hunters and they don't care. But, like, Geralt very much cares and that is clear over and over again. But also, like, you as a player have so much freedom in, like, what quests you want to follow and, like, how you choose to, like, follow their, like, paths, like, what path you want to take. Um, and so, like, Geralt can be, a, even though he's, like, kind of, like, grumpy, like, He's a character who gives so much of himself over and over again and will help people in need even when they are often unkind to him and even when, like, they may or may not deserve it. Um, so I thought, like, that was very indicative of him. But also, like, that line about the monsters to me also kind of gets at something in the heart of the game, which is that, like, things are never black and white and that the game very much makes a comment that, like, sometimes there's not a right or a wrong choice, there are just choices. Um... And this fic, like, I don't necessarily think, like, digs into that particularly, but I do think a lot of its, like, framing and narrative lends itself to that theme. I think what's really interesting about this is, like, in the games, he spends so much of his time doing things for others, whether that's out of, like, the good of his own heart or whether it's because he literally, like, is being paid to do it or being requested hmm. to do it by the emperor or whatever. But this fic centers around a choice that he makes purely for himself and honestly on very little foundation. <laughs> like, it's this pretty selfish journey that he's going on um like, I don't think we've talked about like why he goes to find Amir other than like the fact that like they are the ship of this fic but like you basically learn that he and Amir had like become better acquainted after he brought Siri back and but like the basis for their relationship in this fic is very minimal it, it literally tells you like in the text Amir had touched him only twice in their entire acquaintance and it's like you're like okay this yeah. is some like real yearning here um <laughs> and then you learn that like basically the last time they'd seen each other uh Geralt had sort of made an excuse to like leave early and go to bed early and he can't remember the last thing Amir said to him um and so much of this time that Geralt spends like in these first kind of few gates and going down this path is spent thinking about how he wants to know what was said like that's everything will be okay if he can figure that out um and I just really like the kind of contradiction between the girl that we know who's so focused on like the path and like doing these tasks and fighting these monsters and like kind of being a witcher versus this girl and this fic who's kind of doing this incredibly difficult probably impossible thing based on, like, this very tiny interaction um, and, like, really not even knowing how Amir feels. Like, it's just... I, I love that, like, contradiction. And I think it works really well here. Um, and I don't know, I think it also works really well for me that, like, so much of this fic and, like, so much of the sacrifices that he's making, Geralt's making throughout it, are things that he's forgetting. Um, some of them are skills, some of them are just the knowledge. Um, but, like the impetus for this entire fic, for this entire quest he's going on, is also the thing that he had forgotten, that he had forgotten what Amir said to him at the very end. Um, this thing that was already taken away from him. I, I just think it's really clever. I love it. I enjoyed all the, like, sort of parallel lines, but then also contradictions that this fic makes about Geralt. Right, that he goes on this quest to try and like, resolve this huge question mark that is Amir, the, the thing that he said, but also his his feelings toward Geralt, what they could have had together, um, the life that Amir could be living. Um, and then he goes all the way down there, and the implication that he is faced with is that knowledge is a burden. 
and that mm-hmm. he the lack of knowledge is the blessing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's very, very, very good. It's it's so well crafted. Um, hey, for the second time on this podcast, I want to talk about Orpheus and Eurydice. Okay. Um, I sure. don't. First of, I. <laughs> I don't feel like I can talk about a fic where someone goes to the land of the dead to bring back someone that they love uh-huh. without at least giving a nod to it. And then they walk out of the land of the dead and the other person says, I will follow right behind you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they do, so and it's, it's like, totally fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Um, I just, I, I think I said this a little bit before, but I love that this fic takes a lot of familiar elements of mythology and twists them a bit. So, like, when Geralt gets through that last gate he's sort of wandering in this um he's wandering through this like murky undefinable area that is very similar to the i actually don't know if i'm saying this right but the greek asphodel meadows which is like just sort of like where most people who die go and they exist for the rest of time um but he's wandering through this area and he like can't see anything he like can't figure out where anything is so he just sort of closes his eyes and like follows his heart i guess um but he finds Amir because Amir like speaks to him sort of in his mind. And Geralt has such a strong feeling in his gut that if he opens his eyes, Amir will not be there. Um, which like, hey, <laughs> Orpheus and Eurydice. But then there is like, you know, they get they get back to the gate and then he like is able to look at Amir. But there is that whole thing Nick just said where it's like, I'll follow, I'll follow just behind you. Yeah. Um, it's so good. I don't know. I like, I just really loved how much of the myth felt familiar and yet slightly different Mm -hmm. like in that same way of like yeah I don't know I think in a lot of fics like if you're going through gates with sacrifices I think it would have just been like oh no and now I can't use my swords and like instead the twist was like Geralt doesn't know and like this is like it's a hint of the familiar and then like reimagined I don't know as someone who loves mythology I just was sort of like Mm -hmm. silent screaming this whole time and feeling very soft and tender about the ways in which it was presented in this fic The Witcher is such um like an interesting and deeply complex world um and I think this fic is a really really interesting like perspective on Geralt um I think even though it doesn't take place like nearly at all in the canon setting of the game I think it's really reminiscent of like what makes the game so good um the myth making the world building of this fic is phenomenally well done um I when I was reading it I was like audibly reacting the whole way through um and as Nick said, I think it's a fic that you can enjoy regardless of how much you know about canon or not. Um, <laughs> yes, thank you for that, <laughs> that glowing review. <laughs> um, yeah, this is just a delightful fic. Um, I really loved like journeying with Geralt and sort of experiencing things and putting together all the clues of what he was going through. Um, yeah, just a good fic. <laughs> My fic for this episode is called Persistence by Northland. It is a Jane Austen persuasion fic. Um, It is naturally uh, Frederick Wentworth and Elliot, which is indeed the endgame pairing for persuasion. Spoilers for that um, if you have not read it any time in the last 150 years approximately. (laughs) Uh, It's good. I recommend it. Um, Okay, so y'all know how like most of the time... Not most of the time. A, g- a good amount of the time. Um, I'm like, yeah, I read this and I didn't really know what was going on, but like, I enjoyed it. This is the opposite of that. 
Yeah, Persuasion is my favorite Jane Austen book, and I love many Jane Austen books very ardently. Um, I spent so much time in college studying Austen and Victorian literature in general and this era of literature, and I'm very excited, and I'm going to try to not absolutely bore you all to tears with so many details about the historical context of this, but I'm very excited um, to discuss this, if you can't tell. Um, Persistence is an epistolary fic, which means that it is told exclusively via letter writing. Um, all of the letters in this fic are from the perspective of Captain Wentworth, um, who is writing to his brother, mostly. Um, there's like a couple others in there, but like most of them are to his brother. Talking about um, his experiences, going to visit his sister um, at the sort of Kellynch estate, uh, where Anne Elliot, his former flame and ex-fiance, also lives. Ooh, the drama. Um, in the actual book, Persuasion, uh, that is exactly the plot. So this fic is, like, so canon compliant that, like, it really fits inside of the canon pretty much exclusively. So it, it fits very, very neatly into canon. And in these letters, over the course of the events of the novel, you see Frederick's um, perspective and opinions on Anne and slowly change and warm from, ah, she's so severe, she's so conservative, she is uh, not the woman for me at all, um, while also describing his ideal woman, who happens to have a lot of characteristics of Anne's, um, into, you see throughout the events, um, him kind of warming back up to her, and surprise, they've both been in love with each other the whole time. Very romantic, very beautiful. I love this fic when I first discovered it. It was written for Yuletide, so we've talked about Yuletide before. If you did not tune in for those episodes, um, or you forgot, uh, Yuletide is a fandom event that happens um, in December pretty much of every year where um, lesser lesser known or lesser written for fandoms like Persuasion by Jane Austen <laughs> um, are prompted and people are able to kind of write exclusively for fandoms under a certain benchmark of works. So um, that's kind of where this slots into that. But I had a really good time reading it. I was excited to see that it existed, and then I was even more delighted to read really how good it is and how much it emulates the style of Jane Austen's writing. So those are my so some of my thoughts. I have so many thoughts. Those are some of them, but I would love to hear how the two of you who are maybe less fanatical about Jane Austen felt about this fic. Yeah. Cool. Um, I would definitely say I'm less fanatical about Jane Austen. <laughs> um, not that I dislike her or her works in any way. I'm just much less familiar with them. Um, I sort of did the classic thing of like having read a couple of the books, I think Pride and Prejudice and Emma in high school. I've seen some of the adaptations of those um, and then never really like moved beyond it. I think I tried to read Sense and Sensibility once and it just sort of got away from me. <laughs> um, <laughs> That is to say, I do not know much about Persuasion as a novel. I did read the wiki summary of it before reading this fic, but then discovered halfway through that pr I probably didn't even really need to because each event that was summarized in that summary was just happening again in this fic. And I found that honestly <laughs> quite delightful that like this was so easy to follow, ha like knowing nothing about the characters. I'm sure it helps that I am somewhat familiar with like, you know, like Austin-esque stories and like the setting and the prose um but I have a lot of like admiration for this author because I think they did a great job at uh capturing sort of the essence of this character through these letters and um 
also like really making me like this character. I was somewhat prepared for it to take a little while for him to grow on me. Um, just because sometimes like you'll meet a character in an Austin novel and you won't immediately like them even if you grow to later I feel like. Um, so I was like, well, maybe it'll take a little while for me to like him. And then, like, in the first leather, I was like, love him. <laughs> already in it. Already having an excellent time. Um, I think the first time he mentions Anne in his letter, he, he sort of writes, how strange it is for my pen to trace those letters again. And that was, like, the first mm -hmm. line I wrote down as having loved in this. And it's, yeah, it's, like, three paragraphs in. <laughs> um, I thought the prose was excellent. I, I had just, like, had a good time reading it. I... I feel like now I'm in Nick's position of being like, well, I don't know anything, but it was fun. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see, like, what Nick has to say about it and how it fits into persuasion as a novel and into, like, sort of the world of Austin literature, because I don't really know any of that. Um, I certainly wasn't an English major, so <laughs> once you got out of high school, I was like, okay, well, I'm not reading any more Victorian novels than I have to, which was zero in college. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I had a great time. I, yeah, like I said, I thought the writing was excellent. I think it does a great job of making you like the characters. Um, and I just felt like I was along for the ride in a really pleasant way. Yeah, I think my experience, um, was very similar to Bren's. Um, I was an English major, but I did not do anything with Victorian lit, so I read very little of it in college. Um, exact same thing as, like, Pride and Prejudice in, um, and, like, Emma in high school, like, not really a lot after that. Um, I did at one point in my notes, I wrote down that, um, in this household, I am not the Aunt Jane expert. And if you're wondering <laughs> why I am referring to Jane Austen as Aunt Jane, one time Nick was like, if I had a MySpace top five, it would be Park Jimin. Mm -hmm. Park Jimin again, just in case yeah, he yeah. missed it the first time. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nick's mom, uh -huh. uh, an internet friend who lovingly threatened Nick, uh -huh. um, and Aunt Jane, and I went, who is Aunt Jane? And Nick went, Jane Austen, and I think I groaned <laughs> so loud that people could hear me, like, three houses down. Aunt Jane and I are tight. Yeah. Um, which is to say that, like, I have enjoyed very much the Jane Austen books that I've read, but similar to Brenna, like, I really don't, don't have a whole lot of knowledge, um, about the historical context or, like, really whatever I can remember from high school is sort of what I went in with. Um, I did also read the Wikipedia summary, mm -hmm. um... But yeah, I I think like right off the bat, something that I loved about this fic is, um, as I said, I, I was like, I wrote down, I'm not the Aunt Jane expert in this house, but it feels very much like this could just slide right into the books and it would read so well. Um, like it felt so immersive, not just for what Bren was saying about how you don't need to know the plot to follow along, but just the way that it is written felt very true to the source material, um, which I really, really liked. Um, I agree that Wentworth was immediately a likable character. Um, I don't know. I found this fic reading experience interesting because I don't tend to read epistolary fic, although I'm, like, putting putting an asterisk next to that because uh, the three of us were talking about, like, what epistolary fic means to each of us, and I think we had different perspectives. Mm. But um, in the most literal sense of just letters back and forth between characters, uh... <laughs> maybe maybe I've read like one other fic like that um before this one um but I I like really really enjoyed the experience of reading an epistolary fic um as I was reading it I was thinking a little bit about our conversation we had about I don't want to think anymore which is the hockey pod fic um we covered where it's incoming voicemails to EJ's phone and we talked a little bit about how 
um like what that experience is like when all you're getting is one perspective like you're not getting ejs you're just getting messages coming in and this is the reverse of that where like you are literally only getting down what wentworth finds compelling enough to write um which i just think is so fun like there's so much to be said for how information gets filtered to you as a reader um and what you can infer um but also like you get a lot of wentworth's personality so you can kind of read between the lines of like what might actually be happening versus how he's interpreting them um yeah i don't know the the prose was so well done this was just like a very very like nice fic to read like i read it and at the end i was like oh like i just feel good which like that was that was just a lovely experience to have (laughs) Yeah, I think it's interesting because uh, when you think Jane Austen, you think, like, long, like, dense writing. Um, This fic is under 4,000 words, so if you're interested, like, it's very quick. Um, I wouldn't consider it particularly dense. Um, It does so much work in terms of really trying to fit itself in. The end author's note does say um, that the author pulled a couple of lines from the original text, um, which the fact that they are masked so well within the author's own writing is so amazing um but they also pulled from this incredibly extensive timeline of persuasion's events which i love um because persuasion is the book itself but it's also what happened before with like their engagement and it being called off and the events happened between that and then the start of the book but just the amount of research that went into this like as someone who writes and like hates researching so much i am in such awe of like the diligence that it takes to be able to write something that is so canon compliant. Uh, We talk a lot about AUs, about the what ifs of fan fiction, about um, the ways in which fan fiction is inherently transformative. But I think this fic reminded me that it doesn't necessarily have to be (laughs) like, this really is just an homage to the characters of this book. Um, And the fact that it was prompted from Yuletide really shows how much like one person really specifically wanted Frederick's point of view during this book and like one other person provided it and I really love that and I just took my first breath in like three minutes (laughs) (laughs) something I thought that was really fun about um how this fits like so neatly into canon and yet like is a piece of fan fiction is like if you take a step back from like maybe how intimidating it might seem to have as you said like a dense Victorian lit novel like the premise of this book is very romantic I mean as it would make sense, but, like... It is the most romantic story ever told. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you have said that before. I don't necessarily agree with that, but... You don't disagree, though. Well, I do. I do. <laughs> I mean, like, I do disagree. But I also think it's very romantic. Like, so, um, I, I think you alluded to it, but, like, the before the book starts, like, they were... Anne and Wentworth were engaged. Um, and then she had to break off her engagement because, like, her family didn't approve because they didn't have money. Um, and they spend, like, eight years apart before they have this chance encounter together and then ends up coming back to one another. Um, and, like, man, what is what is more ripe for fan fiction than, like, ultimate slow burn, mm-hmm. mutual pining. Loaded history. Um, mis- miscommunication. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just, like, it's it's funny to think about, like, yes, this this uh, entire fic could just exist within the canon of Persuasion so well and would not seem out of place, but also, like, I don't know. I, I don't exactly know, like, where I'm going with this so much as, like, I just really love the idea of, like, how romantic this this book is and then how easily that translates to fan fiction and, like, how easy it is to love a story like this, um, even though it is so vastly different from most of the fan fiction that I do read. Yeah. Well, the canon is so slow burn is the thing. And the fact that it pulls so much from like 
the early sort of realism situation means that the book itself like if you're wondering what a character had for dinner on Wednesday like oh it'll tell you (laughs) you get so much minutiae and there's so much to sort of sift and sort through and pick and choose what's important to this like love story that's being told across like so many pages um, with so many other things happening but I was talking to Bron about this earlier specifically of like one of the reasons I think this fic is so canon compliant is because the source material doesn't have like the time skips that you'll see in other media or the POV shifts where you see something else that's happening there's not a whole lot of story that takes place that we don't already receive from the source so instead of this being like a really transformative work that explores like a pocket of the story that wasn't explained it's instead taking the story that we already get and just shifting it at a slight angle so that we can see a different side of it I did find that part really interesting about the spec that like I think it's something that you get more often maybe even in like shorter fics and perhaps even in like Yuletide fics where you're writing about kind of um, less often seen source material, Um, but just like a fic that stays so deeply canon compliant. Like there, I feel like even usually when I say like canon compliant fic, there are changes made to that canon by the author or if not changes, just the filling in of other spaces. And yeah, this fic stays so close to the text, which I think is just like a really interesting practice. Um, And it almost kind of feels like a challenge to the author that they like set themselves or perhaps that the prompt they chose set them. Um, But yeah, it was very different than a lot of what I read in that way. And I think interesting in that sense too. Um, And just like drew my attention even more to things like the prose and like the nuance of the characterization. Um, I think probably because it wasn't trying to do things that were like crazy different from the summary I had just read. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like what you said about being it being short too. I don't think this fic works at fifty k. <laughs> right. Yeah. In I terms of being a fun reading, like experience. this this length. I want to. What is right. it like three k or something? Yeah. Now I'm also just thinking about um, Bren because you said like uh, the challenge maybe set by the prompt like. I would love to know what that person's Dear Yuletide letter looked like. Mm-hmm. Like, I would love to know what the original person who asked for this, who requested persuasion, like, I, I mean, would, honestly, yeah, you I don't could know. probably find it if you, if you yeah. tried hard enough. We know who this was gifted to. Yeah. Well, because I think for me, like, the guess that I would make, um, and this is something I wanted to talk about, too, is that we do get one letter from Wentworth in the novel, and it is his last letter to... Well, last time, because it's not like he died. It's, it's just like the, the letter that he gives to Anne, essentially, as a last-ditch effort. Because um, he's like, ah, I know you're probably going to marry your cousin, Anne. Which, like, uh, by today's standards, <laughs> a little bit yikes. By standards back then, actually not abnormal. He's um, like, yeah, like, I know you're trying to preserve your family name, and he's wealthier, da-da-da, but, like, this is this is my last attempt. And the letter itself is the most romantic set of words in the English language, I think. I just, okay, I was <laughs> I was looking it up earlier because I remember reading a blog post from some random blog that was like, this is the most romantic letter ever. And I was like, yes, um, I found it again earlier today. 
<laughs> it's from 2012. Um, I'll link it on the Twitter or something so you all can see and read it as well and agree with me and then see the picture of the cuff. That's like the little bracelet that has um, the entirety of the letter printed on it that I now really want to own for myself. Oh my like, God. Of course, that's the thing. Oh, this is yeah. like... <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, there's a lot in there. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I recommend if you're into romance in any form, I'm sure you are, you should read it. Read read the whole book. Read this fic too. Um, you know, but there, the, one of the most famous lines from it is, I am half agony, half hope. Um, which is like so Austin male lead, like, ah, oh, I love you and it burns me inside, <laughs> you know? Um, but we do get that letter and it's very iconic. Um, and if you are sort of a Jane Austen fan, um, to a certain extent, I feel like you probably have part of it memorized because it's that iconic. I feel like these letters also do get more romantic as we progress like through the story with Wentworth. Um, I feel like there's a line from like each of them that I pull, but there's a line at the end and I think it's probably written by the author. I googled it in its entirety and nothing came up, so I have to assume that it's original, but I don't know. Um, but it says, I have done nothing to merit this happiness, but I shall endeavor to support myself under it nonetheless. And I just wrote, yeah. truly we stand. Like, it's so good. <laughs> like, that's very romantic. I love it. Yeah. Because it's romantic in this, really like, kind is. of practical sense. Um, I don't know. I just think that that's so good. Wow. Captain Wentworth, who was rejected by Anne Elliot and then decided to go off and better himself by joining the British Navy and I well last okay last episode we did not have positive feelings toward the British Navy but we're very proud of Captain <laughs> Wentworth <laughs> we're proud of Captain Wentworth as long as he was not involved in the pirate conflicts <laughs> yeah 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 I don't think so we don't have any evidence that he was so I'm gonna assume he was not okay um, well that's the that's actually the the persuasion slash black sails crossover fic I'll be uh, writing for next Yule Tide. Um, oh, oh, I'm I looking forward wait. to that. Yeah, I know. Every, everyone I'm get ready. It just so that you get paired on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, deal. He won't be a bad guy at it. He'll just become a pirate. Oh, good. That's fun. With Anne? Um, which Anne? <laughs> the one from Persuasion <laughs> or the one from Black Sails? Both. All of them. Yes, with both the Annes. All three Annes. It's actually going to be Anne, Anne. Thick. Oh, I love that. Yeah, me too, actually. Anne of Green Gables. I've just decided I think Anne of Green Gables? Hello? It's a triple cross. Yes. They steal their own ship. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Well, because I was going to say, like, this, um, historically, when this was published, 1880s, I think, um, it was sort of the first generation of people who could create wealth for themselves instead of being sort of stuck in the generational wealth they were born with. So we see that in Persuasion where he goes off, like makes some money, comes back, and he's actually in much better standing with her family. Um, we just, we stand. We stand a self-made man, you know? <laughs> I think the last really main thing I wanted to talk about with this fic is not really about the fic itself, but it is about the really fascinating fandom space it occupies. Um, as someone in fandom, Jane Austen fic in general is not like, the main thing most of my friends are into. <laughs> it's not even one of the minor things most of my friends are into. Like, it's not a thing that I really see people seeking out in, like, I don't want to say fandom proper. That seems, like, weird and elitist. But, like, what you would typically think of when you think of fandom, at least for the three of us in our spaces, um, that kind of 
very, very close to the novel, very faithful to it, um, and, like, very entrenched in the style of, like, 19th century writing. (laughs) It's not really your typical. It's very niche. Um, And at the same time, I feel like this is one of the most mainstream fandoms I am in. Like, I would send this fic to my mom and be like, check this out. Um, She's not read Persuasion, so I don't know how much it would do for her, but... (laughs) Like, I'd do it. Um, It's not something that I feel like would be seen as, like, weird or, like, strained in the same way that some fic definitely can be, just by, like, the world at large. Um, And, like, Jane Austen adaptations are incredibly, incredibly mainstream in a lot of ways. Um, Like, I was thinking about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. That is a real published work that exists in the world. Like, that is whack, like... (laughs) Pride and Prejudice AU stuff. Like, what's happening there? I'm excited to see a tags list on the back of it. <laughs> uh, like, stuff like that is just so interesting. Like, you have Clueless, which is a modern AU Emma. Um, and, like, I've read a bunch of fics in different fandoms that are sort of AUs of different Jane Austen novels. Some of them are, like, actual Clueless AUs sort of proper that follow the plot of the movie, which I have not seen. But um, some of them are, like, faithful to the original adaptations. And I just think, like, it's a very solid cultural pillar, almost, um, that a lot of people are likely familiar with. Um, Her novels are things that are studied in school a lot of the time. We all sort of mentioned at least one book that we had read um, for a class. Um, I should say, like, in the United States. (laughs) Disclaimer. (laughs) Um, But I don't know. I just think, like, for me, it's very weird to be reading this fic that I, like, would never have expected to exist, but that also almost feels like it shoots way past to being, like, a weird little obscure work um, into sort of the most um acceptable by general standards um kind of fan fiction that people might be into i think it's just like it's different in a way i don't know i had a friend in um college who was like yeah i read fan fiction and i was like oh like what do you read me too well i'm like writing my 1d rpf (laughs) Um, and she's like oh like it's only based on like the Bronte sisters like novels and I was like what and she's like yeah mostly Jane Eyre but I'm branching out I was like okay well it's interesting because like um when we first started this podcast um so uh listeners if you haven't listened to some of the previous episodes you're not aware uh Nick is currently living with me but does Mm -hmm. not normally um I normally have two other roommates and um both of my other roommates are way less like fandom or online than I am um and so when when Nick Brennan and I first started this podcast I was like told my roommates I was like haha like I'm doing a podcast on fan fiction like not really knowing like what that would like how they would not even like how they would take that in a bad way just meaning like literally like I don't know what they would think of when they think of fan Mm -hmm. fiction and my one roommate was like oh like I read fic like I have like some fic in books and I was like what like (laughs) because my brain was going towards like I literally did you like print out fix whatever like um as I have thought about doing before um and she did Nick almost exactly what you said where she was like yeah I have these like fix based on pride and prejudice and in my head I was like oh I have to reorient because like mm-hmm. yeah technically like that is fan fiction um not quite what I was thinking of or what I meant when I said that I was doing mm. a podcast on and fix. Send me Rex. um we there you are in her room the books oh, are probably here, here probably <gasps> amazing um but yeah I don't know that was just it was something that was kind of funny to me it was like 
that was her first thing when we were talking about fic was she was like yes I have published fan fiction of Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice and I was like oh I've spent the past six months reading hockey RPF yeah but yeah I don't know I I when you were just talking about before about how this is like the most like quote-unquote mainstream like yeah um I would not have normally thought of something like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies as being fan fiction, but like yeah. they are. Yeah, and I should add too, as as you were talking and as I was thinking about this, I don't mean to imply that Jane Austen fic is only mainstream because it's like good and culturally prevalent. Um, a lot of things are that. I think there's also the added sort of lack of subversiveness in a lot of it um, that comes from like keeping the main heterosexual white pairing together um and like exploring a story that feels like very safe in a lot of ways to culture at large so i think there's that aspect of well, it as and, well and i think there's something like a lot of the fandoms that we are in are are based on either like media that's come out recently or people who are alive Jane Austen isn't around to tell anyone, like, please don't write fan fiction of my stories. <laughs> like, <laughs> sure. I think there's something where it becomes more, like, broadly culturally acceptable when the works themselves have al- mm. already become really, like, sort of canonized in, like, whatever yeah. sense. Like, I think the same goes for something like Shakespeare or whatever. Like, he's not around sure. to be like, I hate it when people write fic about me. Like... <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Or, wow, I love that Hamlet fic. Wow, yeah, mm, I think I mean the original. I think that that's I what he would say. <laughs> I think so too. But like, I do think that's part of it too, where it's like there isn't really any, like it's very different than like I don't know J.K. Rowling or like George R. R. Martin or any of these like living authors having opinions about like fan works mm-hmm. being made about their stuff. Fan rights. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I think it like I think that is one of the things that sort of helps it become more culturally acceptable is there isn't any pushback from anyone. Um, right. It's just happening, and it's something that we already talk about so much because it's been around for so long, and it's part of our sort of like cultural canon of like ideas that makes it really like easy to like do spinoffs and stuff without really anyone thinking it's weird or different or like anyone being able to say like please don't do this about my stuff yeah yeah it's like toothless in a way like it it really isn't gonna hurt anyone yeah well hey that was persistence by northland a persuasion fic did you know this was based on persuasion i don't think we talked about it enough (laughs) um in this (laughs) Um, It is a fic that takes a very familiar story and shifts it just a little bit um, to give us, I I would say, like, another taste of that same thing that, like, we really love. Just, like, a little bit more um, of a thing that was already good when it started. So um, I had so much fun reading it. I'm so glad I trawled the 2011 Yuletide tag and found it. (laughs) Um, And I encourage you to give it a read if you are at all interested. If you're looking for... Um, personalized Jane Austen Rex, by the way, hit me up. I have read most of her works and I am ready to spread the word. <laughs> I think she needs my help advertising <laughs> her books. No, but I I really love this fic um, and I had a great time reading it with the both of you. Aww. Wow. Aw. Wow. Okay, next. <laughs> So my pick for this week is going to be Garot by Down June. Um, this is a hockey RPF fic. It is a different pairing than any of the ones we've talked about before. This is going to be Sydney Crosby, Claude Giroux. 
Um, if you know hockey but haven't been in hockey fandom, you might be sitting here thinking, like, what the fuck? That seems weird. Um, if you have been in fandom, then you already know. Uh, but yeah, we all love a good enemies to question mark fic. So <laughs> that's what we all get from Sid Clone fic usually. Um, this fic in particular is a curse fic. Uh, so hockey curse fic has kind of become a like subgenre all of its own, and I think that's one of the things we're gonna talk about. But it's basically like developed its own subset of like tropes and lore and all of these things that kind of like all of these like aspects to it that either are reflected in different pieces or kind of like work off of each other. I have not seen these same aspects in like most other fandoms, so um, I think it's really interesting sort of how that has grown and like developed in on itself. Um, in this one, the Flyers front office, uh, like a number of years before this fic is set, put a curse on the Pens, but like particularly on Sid, which has now spread to the rest of his teammates and the buildings that they play in. So like console and then PPG, um, and even to like the fans. Um, and it is called Garot because it is a strangling curse. Um, and basically exhibits itself as like these golden wires around sit around the other players around console um uh so like a little extra context for for the ship too um it was definitely like a thing before 2015 but in 2015 um during worlds that year sid and claude played on the same team and like clearly became more friendly and fandom really loves enemies to friends to lovers um any of those i think and like this ship was like really solidified around then this fic takes place beginning at 2015 worlds and on into the season after that so like the 2016 season um and it basically starts with like claude like first learning about the curse um well because sorry to set up a little bit further neither sid or claude in this fic have like magic of their own there are people in the world and like in the hockey world who do have magic who can practice magic they are not two of them so claude has like been on the flyers who's he's been captain for like years and does not know about this curse that like he is continuing to like perpetuate and help grow um until like the end of the 2015 season where um one of his teammates kind of shows it to him uh and then he realizes at 2015 worlds that it's impacting sid even beyond like when he's playing for the pens and when he's playing in pittsburgh um and he's like oh fuck and he basically sets out to try and fix this curse um so that's sort of like the context for this fic and for this ship um there is like one major content warning for this that i want to give that is also tagged which is dubious consent um i'm just gonna say it now because it's gonna come up later but it's better to know going in i guess and going into this discussion um so basically they have to fix this curse and the way they fix it is by having sex at center ice <laughs> sorry it sounds so ridiculous when i just say it like that but it's actually like a very intense moment in this fic um but yeah there's a lot of like sex magic shit going on so there's some consent issues there um yeah just so you know so because we are going to talk about it in this discussion and like if you read it it's very much in there um all right, I think we've all read this fic before. This is like probably my like, fourth time reading it. I think it's probably at least your second, both of you. Um, but I'm curious, like, 
your thoughts and maybe like your thoughts on sort of hockey curse pick in general. And we could talk about a bit about that like first before getting into like the specifics of this one. Yeah. So this, this is my second reread. Um, I read it for the first time, not like too long ago. Um, probably within the past like eight or nine months. Um, and it was introduced to me um, by both of you and I think maybe some of our other friends as the fic where they fuck on the ice in front of both of their teams. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so I, that was the knowledge I went in with, with this fic. Um, and then I was like, oh, wow, actually this fic is about so much else. I mean, like that is a very intense and pivotal scene, but like, wow, this fic is so good. There are like certain parts of it that I honestly like didn't remember as well and were very fun to sort of like reread and rediscover. Um, and then there were parts that I visce- viscerally remembered because they are just, like, ugh. So the way that, like, the curse manifests in this fic, as Bren said, it's a strangling fic. But there's a lot of, like, really, really vivid imagery for, like, not just what this curse looks like, but what magic in general looks like. Um, and I think it's, like, fascinatingly done, but some of the ways in which this curse, like, grows and spreads and, um, like, lives, for lack of a better word like I said, are so vivid and have really stuck with me um, since the first time I read it. And yeah, I do think it's really interesting that hockey fandom has this whole subset of curse fic or just magic in general. Um, the three of us were all talking about, like, there are just some constants, like Flower, who is in this fic, who is a goalie or was a goalie for the Pens at the time mm-hmm. of this fic. Um, regardless of whether the fic is about the Pens, if there is a magic hockey fic, almost certainly Flower shows up in one way or another, whether it's just a phone call for information or if they need him for some magic or whatever. Um, also, like, goalies in general, like, in in just, like, general hockey fandom, um, like, people are like, goalies are weird. There's a lot of, like, weird goalie rituals, and so, like, that very easily translates to, like, goalies have magic or, like, goalies have a whole sort of separate thing going on whenever there is curse fic or magic fic. Um... Something that I really love about this fic and about a lot of hockey fic, hockey curse fic in general is, like, I don't really tend to read, like, dark fic, but I do really appreciate when hockey curse fic gets creepy. Like, I appreciate when it doesn't flinch away from, like, making you feel unsettled. Um, and the way that this curse is described in this fic definitely does that. Um, yeah, this fic is so good and evocative and, like, I don't want to say, like, fucked up, because it's not quite so much as just, like, there are certain parts where I was, like, wide-eyed, like, oh my god, we are really going there. Um, but it's so well executed. I also just, like, really love this author. Um, I I keep track loosely of the fix that I read, and um, I went back to my, my Excel sheet, and the beginning of January for me literally is just down June, down June, down June, down June, over mm. and over again. Um, so, big fan of this author. Yeah, I love this fic. Um, I have a little bit of, like, a revolving door brain sometimes. Uh, I've definitely read this before. (laughs) I remembered very little of it before going back in, honestly. Um, Including most of the main plot points, but, you know, makes for an exciting and fresh experience every time. Um, There was a point partway through where I was like, have I read this before? And then at the end it was like, you have already left Kudos. And I was like, fine, okay, yes I have. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. It's so well executed. It's super interesting. Um, and I think with hockey curse fic in general, I mean, sports and hockey specifically, so superstitious. 
um, players have rituals and routines that they'll talk about. Like, you'll read an article from, like, some sports publication being like, this is how this pro athlete, like, gets ready on game day. And it's like, I eat the exact same sandwich. I do this, I do that, I do this. Like, there is such um, such a focus on minimizing risk and creating a control um, situation in which you can recreate success if you are just careful enough to not let anything else in, to not allow any chaos. Um, and so I think for a couple of reasons, um, curse fic makes so much sense in this setting. On the one hand, it's fun to watch what happens when you take a routine like that and you just mess with it um, and like see what happens. I think that's what a lot of fic does, whether it's curse fic or not. Um, and on the other hand, I think sports fans and players and coaches and everyone involved like we're always looking for explanations for failure um, and sometimes they're very clear sometimes they're just you played poorly today but then the question is why if the routine was perfect if everything was the exact same what could have possibly gone wrong and I think hockey curse fic is such a fascinating sort of cultural response to uh, that question of like what went wrong what happened how do we um, conceptualize this idea that we do not actually have complete control over how well something goes in our lives. Um, and like you also have two teams who are playing against each other who both are expecting success if they recreate the exact same variables. That's not possible. <laughs> um, but I do think that Hockey Curse Fic has really... It, it, it was the perfect storm to be created mm -hmm. in, a, in a fandom like this, in a context like this. Yeah, and I think like the kind of superstition ritual stuff like it I think we often see it as sort of starting with like one player maybe or something like that like you learn about like oh your favorite players like pregame meals and like the other things that he does mm -hmm. like the way he tapes his stick or whatever but then there's like sort of the it grows from there right and there's the team ones as well and the locker room yeah. ones and the you don't step on the logo and the you do the same handshake and the last person goes out last every time and like it just sort of grows and grows and becomes this very like ritualized aspect and I think that on top of the sort of like fan mythos already of sort of like if we bring a certain energy, if we do a certain thing, then that also guarantees, like, our team success. And I think all of those bring, like, a kind of semi, like, religiosity to sports. And this is not, like, obviously us Absolutely. coming up with this concept. Like, this is very talked about, but... It's us. Um, <laughs> like I quote me. Sports, a little religious. <laughs> Nicole, <laughs> Fit Click podcast. Okay, 2020. Perfect. You heard it here first. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think that does bring it like it does set the stage for there to sort of be then this super like for it to go from superstition to actually magical or actually religious I think the way different ways different authors play with that um idea too is really interesting like this is kind of this is a straight up curse fic like they did magic and they cursed them and the curse was evil and it gets powered by people kind of continuing to repeat these actions but then there's ones that stray tor more towards like gods or like mythology where people are kind of like supernaturally powerful where like the energy of the fans really contributes to like different players like growing powers um then there's sort of like the really cute ones where like something weird happened and now like someone is an animal or something <laughs> you know yeah, like yeah. oops they're actual penguins now <laughs> like like there's all like flavors sort of it just sort of grew and grew I feel like like someone would come up with one new idea then someone else would put that idea with another new idea and it would just sort of like spiraled um and there is all this like crossover but then these sort of clear differentiations between different 
tropes even within sort of like hockey magic, hockey curse, hockey gods. Like, it's really interesting to me. Um, but I think this fic in particular has a lot of like my favorite flavors. Um, it has like a little bit of like weird dreams. It has like a little bit of sort of like the actual magical rituals. Um, but also has like a lot of just sort of them trying to figure it out. Um, and I think like Reed said, like this fic is definitely not like dark fic. And I do not generally enjoy reading like dark fic TM, like the kind of classic dark fic. Um, but I really like how this one, I like how this fic, uh, like it sets out by making this curse like a malicious curse and it doesn't back away from that um like sort of during the scene where they're trying to basically fix it to break the curse it it just holds on tighter and tighter and it sort of like kind of gets close to like really killing Sid um and it's intense like I really appreciate that it doesn't like shy away from that stuff um I think I just find this fic compelling in how it kind of sticks to its it, like stated purpose um, it doesn't shy away from like what it set out to do. And I think that's really good. Yeah, I feel like we have touched a little bit on this in this conversation about like belief making things real or like belief creating some kind of magic. And it reminds me of the gates a little bit, the first game mm -hmm. where he has to like find the space where there is potential and then create sort of an opening. Uh, there's something there with hockey. Yeah. Um, and yeah, what you were saying too, Bren, about like a fic that is like dark without being like i don't want to say over the top dark but um without like that being its defining characteristic um i was saying this earlier and i can't remember if i've talked about this on the pod or not like i really don't read tags almost ever uh which is not, <laughs> maybe not my best practice but like i have a reason and the reason is that i think something that i get more from published fiction than i get from fan fiction is this uncertainty about how things are going to end and what the consequences are going to be and how high the stakes are. Um, I think some fic does a really great job at elevating the stakes, but for a lot of it, the stakes are, are these two people going to end up together or not? Um, and that can be very dramatic and it can be executed very well. Um, but I think for me, like if a fic is trying to make me nervous, I really want to be nervous. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to think like, well, like I know they're going to end up together in the end and they didn't tag major character death. So it's probably going to be fine actually. Or like, you know, like, the author and their author's notes at the very beginning was like, hey, this might get dark, but, like, don't worry. Like, I promise they have a happy ending and, like, no one gets hurt or anything and it's fine. Which, like, okay, but also, like, I want to wonder. And sometimes I do want there to be, like, real high-stakes consequences. Like, a lot of the books that I loved growing up, like, some of my favorite characters bit the dust. And, like, that sucks. But also, like, the storytelling was good and effective and was able to, like, carry through really difficult moments. Um... I've been thinking about this because um, a friend of the pod, Cassie, um, created a fandom zine that has four essays in it. Um, one of them is mine. I talked about major character death as if I haven't already done that enough on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was talking about like narratives of death and it's, it's not just that either. There's lots of different, um, like even with this fic, right? <laughs> um, I don't think anyone was ever, I at least didn't think like, ah, Sid is going to die. I almost worried that something worse might happen or something different or that the curse would take something else or that sacrifice wasn't enough and like what would happen then like I was completely willing to go with this author down like another really difficult and like complicated rabbit hole of plot 
um, if that was the way the story went. And I really liked that this story and stories that I've read like it um, and unlike it um, are willing to sort of take risks and not hold hands through. Sometimes you want your hand to be held. Like, hey, persistence. I was never under any illusions <laughs> that anything was going to go wrong there, I don't think. Um, but sometimes I am really looking for like that oh shit moment in a fic. Um, and I think I find that more easily when I really feel like I don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, and I think like one of the ways that this fic sets its stakes higher without needing us to really like necessarily worry that like Sid is going to die or something like that um, is because they all keep forgetting. Um, I don't think we mentioned this mm-hmm. yet, but like one of the aspects of the curse is that like if you are involved in it, you do not remember it. Sid has learned a couple times now that like he is cursed and he does not remember. Um, Flower and Tanger and Duper, like these other people on the pens, all sort of like realized um, and uh, well, they didn't realize exactly what the curse was, but they realized that something bad was happening the previous season, um, which in real life, the 2015 season was absolute garbage mm-hmm. for the pens and like had a ton of injuries and like um, a ton of other like medical problems for some of the players. But they basically like realized something was going wrong and wrote this like charm to help protect Sid. Um, but they don't remember that they did that. Flower doesn't remember that they're cursed. Like, Claude is the only one who seems to be able to remember, and so a lot of this is mm-hmm. just uh, Sid and Flower and anyone else just forgetting and forgetting and forgetting, and it really adds a sense of urgency to the fic, um, and kind of an uncertainty about what's going to happen and how they're going to solve it, uh, that I think is super effective. I think it's a really interesting way to sort of up the stakes and up how nervous you as a reader feel, um, without necessarily introducing anything that's darker than what's already there um I just think it's really clever and like definitely just effective in a way that I don't see from a lot of fic necessarily um Mm -hmm. because I think like I when I go into fic I definitely have different expectations for it than when I go into like just a published novel like if some if a character's killed off in the middle of a published novel I'm like yeah that's your prerogative like there weren't any warnings on this like I could have googled it um fic I think I think of a little differently one because of like the culture of tagging also I can't like google yeah. it to find out what happened if I really want to know like there aren't really those same steps I can take to kind of like warn myself if I really am curious um mm. but I think also like I like if a fix sets out to be kind of intense or kind of dark or kind of um almost fucked up I wanted to commit to that but I do also want to know like how far they're gonna go like if you're gonna kill someone like I want that tag because I don't really like going and not knowing those things like personally but I do really Mm -hmm. like a fic that can yeah like commit to the bit I guess and like (laughs) this this one definitely reminded me a bit of timeshare as well like not to be on brand over here but (laughs) I think both of those fics do a great job of like leaning into like the the darker side of what's going on um and like setting their stakes like pretty high uh without being like too intense I think sometimes if in both fic and just in a lot of other media sometimes it'll feel like people just piled on dark stuff for the sake of it being like dark or violent or like whatever and it's kind of like okay but how is this like working for the plot and I think those are two fics where it's like the darker aspects of it really enhance the plot, really make sense for the characters' stories, and, like, really help with, like, the relationship development as well. Yeah. Um, 
backtracking a tiny bit, but Brent, just something I was thinking about when you were talking about how um, one of the aspects of the fic is that is the forgetting is I feel like that was highlighted and emphasized so well by the fact that um, this fic is split into five chapters and it POV switches a bunch. Um, and it doesn't just POV switch between Claude and Sid, but there's also a chapter from Flowers POV, mm-hmm. um, which I just thought was such a good choice. Um because you get Flower who gets contacted by Claude and Claude's like, here's all these things going on. And then he sort of kind of remembers like doing this yeah. this protection charm on Sid earlier. Um, and like Flower, uh, he drives to Sid's house and Claude talks on the phone with him for an hour. And the moment that Flower gets out of the car, yeah. um, he can't remember like why he came to Sid's. Um, and it's just like, I don't know. It, it was just such, like, a, I think a clever choice to have someone who is not, like, one of the people on the ship, but is, like, very, very much impacted by this. Yeah. Um, that sort of, like, emphasizes the nature of the curse and how it works. You have Claude who who knows about the curse and is, like, feeding into it and is the only one who, like, really can break it. You have Sid who is its center point. And then you have um, Flower who's, like, one of the casualties of the curse. Um, arguably the second most impacted apart from Sid as you find out at the very end of the fic when you get a flashback to, like, when the curse was first implemented. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, which is just to say that, like, I thought having his POV and, and having the POV switch between Sid and Claude was, like, very well done. The POV switches are wonderful. I love a POV switch. And I think, for me, one of the things that strikes me most about this fic is the Claude POV of it all. Um, and not only the Claude POV, but just the Claude of this fic in general. Um, this fic... I think weirdly has a lot to say about loneliness um, and how that can manifest. Um, like like you were saying, Claude is the only one that really remembers. So he's holding all of this knowledge and is explaining things over and over. Um, and he does, he carries so much with him. And there are so many points in this story at which he could give up. Um, he was not the one who put this curse on Sid. The only reason that he's involved at all is because he's the captain of the team that did. Um, that is the only reason, um, that it has to be him. Um, otherwise it really, it could have been anyone. And he takes on this sort of amount of personal responsibility as he makes a decision that he needs to do something about this. Uh, part of it is, I think, when he first is shown the curse by Simmons, who's on who's on his team, um, and he just sees the massive scale of it uh, and how sort of dangerous it looks. Um, but I just think that this Claude is so oh, like good and and generous with himself, and also there's a selfishness to it too. Like he's developing this relationship with Sid and. It's a friendship, and it's also kind of not a friendship, and then there's just a whole mess later, like atonement and sacrifice and religious curse-breaking stuff. Um, but I just really, I like that we are able to see Claude both from his own perspective and from other people's perspective, because I think that roundedness gave me a greater appreciation for what I thought was an already excellent character. Yeah, I think now I want to talk a little bit about like how they break the curse, um Uh uh-huh okay so like i said claude goes abracadabra be gone curse (laughs) and the curse is gone that's it (laughs) um so 
Towards the beginning of the fic, uh, when Claude realizes that the curse has followed Zed um, to Worlds, he asks a couple people to help him, one of his other teammates from the Flyers, and then also Yaromir Yager, <laughs> because why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that. He's, he's like, also yeah. someone who always fucking knows what's up with the magic in these fics. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's like, Okay, there's, like, a duality of, like, Gretzky-Yager in hockey in general, but, like, in these picks, <laughs> Gretzky's always evil and Yager's always good, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. So, Claude is, like, talking to this few people, including Yager, and he's sort of like, how the fuck am I gonna break this curse? And Yager's like, the same way you break any curse, like, with true love or some equal sacrifice. And he's sort of, like, joking about it. He's like, I, well, I'm guessing true love is out. Um, and... I want to say, I think it's really good that it's not broken with true love. Like, they do get together and sort of, like, emo- figure out that they do have, like, feelings for each other. But it's not true love. Like, and we're not under any, like, delusion that it is. And I think that that's honestly really, like, fulfilling in this spec. But that being said, they do have to figure out some other way to um, break it. And it has to be some, like, pretty intense sacrifice. Um, but we don't really even know what, like that means necessarily like it's unclear whether that's like like because true love is like pretty good but then it also seems like this could potentially be broken in some sort of like violent or like degrading or humiliating way which is like bad (laughs) um you know so it's like we don't really have a lot of guidance as like to what is gonna work to break it um okay during like the scene where they decide like okay today's the day they still, like, don't fully know what they're gonna do. Um, like, they kind of just go out to center ice, and, like, the rest of their teams are watching them, and you're like, yikes! Um, and they kind of have this conversation where Sid is like, I want what you want to give me, um, and Claude is sort of like, all right, I can give you the truth, and that is I never hated you, not for a single game, though I'm guessing the same can't be said for you. Also, I can give you my trust and my faith. And it's so, like, intense, like, right off the bat. And also, at the same time, the curse, like, hates this. Like, every time Claude, like, says something, every time Claude tries to give something to Sid in, like, penance for this curse, it just tightens and tightens and tightens. And, like, Claude is basically watching Sid get strangled on the ice. And it's pretty intense. Um, yeah. So, like, the way they end up breaking it is is through, like, having sex. But... And, like, that is kind of what this fic is known for to a degree. Like, I don't want to, like, dance around mm. this. Like, if you mention Garot to someone, they're going to probably be like, oh, yeah, that, like, fic where they fuck on ice. But honestly, in my brain, I had kind of remembered it as being even more, like, explicit than it is. It's truly, like, mm. not that explicit, but it's pretty, like, emotionally intense, um, especially because it's, like, the sacrifice that's breaking this curse. What I think is really interesting about it is it is sort of just this it's broken by them figuring out what's important to them in the moment and like what is weighty enough to be the thing that breaks it. And I really like that there wasn't like one specific solution that was set out as like when the coven cast the curse, they had in mind the one thing that could break it. Like I think a lot of curse fic, not just in hockey, but in, in magic in general, like, ooh, there's that one thing and you have to go on a quest to find it. And once yeah. you've gathered all the parts, you can make the potion, then you drink the potion and the curse is broken. Like, that's not this fic at all. It's much more about them fi- figuring out, like, what what holds the right value, like, what holds the weight that will um, be able to, like, be enough for this. And I think it's really interesting that it, it takes into account so heavily the feelings of the people who are involved. Like, obviously Sid is going to be one of them, but it doesn't have to 
to be Claude. Like, it, it does in this fic because he's captain. But if Claude wasn't named captain, if someone else was named captain of the Flyers, it would be their responsibility in the way that they might have broken mm. this would have been completely different because what would have been important to them is, like, the two people involved would have been different. Um, I just love that, like, the decision of, like, what is important, what has the needed weight, like, is so personal and that it has to be equal and it has to be important, but it also has to be, like, willingly given and taken. Like, I think there are consent issues in this scene, especially regarding them sort of doing this in front of all these other people, but mm-hmm. it's not, like, an unwilling giving or taking, like, in the moment. Like, it's... They know what they're doing. <laughs> and I think that that's part of the reason, like, it works. Um, I don't think it would have worked if it was, like, unwillingly given by Claude. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about much earlier, Nick said um, something about, like, belief and making it real. And um, you said it in reference to the Gates. But, like, mm-hmm. it really, I mean, like, that that sentiment is is true here. That, like, it is it is fully, like, what they believe is, is worth enough to rival this, like, f- uh, this curse yeah. that has encompassed so much. Well, I wonder, too, if it's, like, if, if the thing Claude gave to Sid and the thing Claude gave up for himself were two different pieces of the sacrifice, almost. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's such a subjectivity around it. Like, I remember reading this fic, um, and when we got to the part on Center Ice, I was like, this is, this is a hell of a thing to wing. Like, yeah. I understand why that's the, the decision that's made. It just was fascinating to me. Um, that they were like, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> it's just really interesting. But I do think that maybe it's it's complicated. And when, when it comes to a sacrifice and a worthy sacrifice, it has to be inherently subjective. Like, who, who gets to decide what is worthy? Like, ultimately, it is the person giving it up. And I think the sacrifice then in that case is not necessarily about magnitude, but it's about truth. Um, yeah, going off that, Nick, I think, like, we did not pick these fics to have any sort of through line, but I think this through line of sort of, like, what you give up, like, what is sacrificed, is really present in all of them. I mean, perhaps the most, like, perhaps it's, like, more narratively present in, uh, Garot and in the Gates, but I think it's also there in the Persuasion fic as well, like, in terms of the sort of missing years that they could have been together and, like, the letter that Wentworth, like, doesn't write to Anne and stuff um, mm-hmm. and the, like, consequences of those um, and the sacrifice that he almost makes to, like, not even try to, like, yeah, like, say something to her. But I think with all of these, it's really an exploration of, like, w- like what does sacrifice look like and, like, what what is it that you, like, can- have to give... Mm. Like, when you were asked to give something up, like, what is it that you would choose to give up? Or, like, if you are asked to give something up, but you don't have a choice, like, how do those impact you as a person? Um, How does, like, the knowledge of having given something up impact you? I think it's really, like, interesting questions that all three of these ask. Um, Yeah, so good job, us. (laughs) Nailed it again. Nailed it again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, so Garot is a kind of intense fic. Uh that kind of takes both the enemies to lovers trope and the like curse fic trope um and I think just like executes them really well it doesn't shy away from intensity and it asks some really kind of crucial questions about like what sacrifices can look like and what it takes to like have people agree on like the importance of something um yeah so that's that fic it's wild 
would would recommend as per usual but it's also definitely not going to be for everyone Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, we hope you liked it. I feel like you probably did if you made it this far, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> um, as always, you can find us on our socials at FitClick on Twitter and at FitClick.tumblr.com on Tumblr. Um, you might see us around AO3 soon, so keep an eye out. Is AO3 a social? <laughs> I don't no also you'd see, us around, social. you'd see us around ao3 in the comments not post <laughs> never say never not yet read not yeah, yet. exactly <laughs> just you wait uh you can be social with us on discord though as well that's linked in the pinned tweet on our twitter um we've been having a lot of fun talking about fic and tv shows and books and animal photos and cooking photos there were actually a lot of those recently um, so that's been exciting. Get to know some thicklets and chat with us, your incredible, social, beautiful hosts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. You can also find a link to our Redbubble on our Twitter. Um, so we do have some merch up now. Merch. Uh, we've got a few designs you can get as stickers, as coffee mugs, as tote bags. They're cute. Check them out. Some of them are logos. Some of them are fit click or fic related designs i guess (laughs) i think they're cute but i made them so (laughs) i am also biased (laughs) there i'm not biased Um, at all about fit click merch i think it's great yeah (laughs) so check those out if you are at all inclined i also wanted to give a shout out to one of our ficlets on twitter um twitter user at singular scenery uh they sent in a really cool um like collection of fix on AO3, uh, all dream sharing fix inspired by like my birthday episode where we did dream sharing fix. Um, we've got some really cool ones in there, including the gates actually, which we talked about on this app, and a Star Trek fic that I have literally been looking for for years and thought was just completely lost. Uh, so that was super super exciting. Um, I just want to give them a shout out because that was amazing. It totally made my day. Um, yeah, and we retweeted it. If anyone else is curious about checking it out, um, you can find a link to that on Twitter as well. Okay, so for our next episode, which comes out May 22nd, um, let's talk about our fic picks. I'm really, really excited about mine. Um, mine's a bit of a departure from my usual in that it is DC Comics. Um, Marvel, I love you, but for the moment, we're going for Batman. Um, this is a gen fic. It's social media. Um, the fic is a hat fashioned from tinfoil and it's by Discoing. Um, it's very, very fun. I'm excited to get into it. Nick, what is your pick? Yes. Um, my pick for next episode is called So You Think You Can Dance, Veil, by Opal Song and Seer, maybe? It's S-Y-R, so pronounce that how you will. I was gonna say it's also a departure for me, but (laughs) it's not the wildest thing I've ever brought, honestly. Not by a long shot. (laughs) No. Um, this is a Ruby fic, R-W-B-Y. It's a show. This is a, this is a TV-adjacent pic for me, so we're all very (laughs) excited. Hell yeah. Yeah, and this is an audio fic made for audio. Um, it is super creative, super fun. Um, it's about 2,000 words written out, but it's like a 23-minute, um, Podfic. So if you listen to us, you can do 23 minutes, I think. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited to talk about it. It's very goofy, very lighthearted, very fun. Bren, what did you bring for next time? 
Yeah, so I have a fic um, from the drama The Untamed. Um, it is the absolutely true story of the Yiling Patriarch, A Manifesto in Many Parts by Aubrey Lee, um, in which basically the juniors sort of write RPF that gets insanely popular. <laughs> um, it's very fun. We sort of inadvertently did a theme almost, I think, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for next episode between the three of us, which I think is going to be really interesting. Um, yeah, this is a fandom I've been spending a lot of time in recently, and I'm really excited to talk about it on the pod. Um, yeah, I think that wraps it up. Yes, thank you, Ficklets, for listening. We love you. Take care, and we'll hear you later. I make that joke. I try to make it almost every episode, oh, and I feel like it gets cut out every time. It's made it in sometimes. It probably does. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if it makes it in this I just time. I think it's really funny. Okay. Bye. Bye.